Hello and welcome to season two of the Revenue Marketing Report powered by CaliberMind. Our goal on the RMR is to help marketers move from subject matter experts to strategic business partners. I'm your host, Kamala Thompson, and today I'm thrilled to introduce Christopher Antonopoulos. Christopher, tell us a little bit about yourself. So I'm a, um, I'm a recovering data junkie is probably the best uh, intro for this podcast. Um, professionally, we work, I work with um, measured results marketing. We do sales and marketing operations and connect systems together and data and telling the story around it is always a big part of those discussions. So happy to participate in this podcast today. Thank you so much. And I'm excited too. We're going to talk about data storytelling and how it's important to blend story in or context really into the data you're presenting. So can you kind of go through a really high level kind of touched on it, but what do we mean when we say data storytelling? I think, um, you know, don't think of storytelling as sort of telling your children a story when they go to bed to get them to sleep. I think Storytelling is about roughly, here's what the business's objectives are. And so how are you as a marketer contributing to meeting those objectives? And so the storytelling is about, you know, how do you equate what you're doing and the numbers you have against what the specific company's goals are? So that's, that's in my mind, what the storytelling is, is to um, match that, match what you are accomplishing in the data against what the company wants and making sure you're presenting it away so that people can make decisions. If the data is great, we may want to do more of something. If the data is not so good, we might need to change direction or do some experiments. And so it's how do you best do that in the context of those conversations? I love that because we're not talking about telling a yarn where we caught a fish this big. It's more about finding out what motivates people and interests them and making sure that the data we're presenting is in line with their key objectives. But it's also about understanding that everybody thinks of data differently and that we don't all think the same. So we need to present in, in a very visual, succinct manner in order to get the point across correctly. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I think it is. I think it's important about the data you talk about as well. I think um, sales has sort of happy eyes or happy ears. I'm sure everyone has heard that where they have a conversation with someone and all of a sudden they're about to close this big deal and they haven't really understood what the need is and and gone through that process. Mm -hmm. I, I think it's the same thing with marketing and data. When you see something really positive, open rate, form complete, attending a webinar, um, those pieces, you tend to focus on that really happy data. And sometimes you don't check it as much as you would because it's the story you want to tell or the um, accomplishment or win that you want to have. But yeah, I, I agree with that. It's a, it's an interesting balance there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm just thinking back to a couple meetings that I've had in the past where we've changed the dimensions on the axes to make things look better, or we haven't focused on um, the overall company pipeline and revenue generation. And when you just focus on what you're excited about, you come across as really tone deaf, particularly when you're oh. presenting to the executive team and they're really worried about revenue. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I won't call a client out here, but I think um, you know, one of them was desperate to really show results in their marketing team. And so they sent out an email to everyone in their database. And then they looked at, did someone that they sent an email to buy something within the last 12 months? And so it's, yeah, so you understand that, right? There's a lot of prof- there's a lot of pressure for performance and matching back, but I think that's the that's the thing you have to be really careful about is the desire to show success and progress opposed to what's actually moving the needle or helping the company. Yeah, and I think some of that I'll go so far as to say desperation comes yeah, top down, yeah. you know, because uh, a lot of times marketers, um, I've been asked to show for every penny in, how many pennies am I getting out? And yeah. when you're dealing in massive transactions in bulk, it's really hard to come up with that kind of succinct uh, accounting like math. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, so along those lines, what are some of the biggest missteps you've seen marketers make so, when it comes um, to data? Yeah. So marketers are really creative. I mean, I'm a I will always be a marketer and always be a data person. But yeah, I think the, the, the biggest mistake that I can say I personally made is I focus on the most exciting metric at that given time. Mm-hmm. You know, so we've just done this campaign. You know, we've just done this activity and look what happened. And um, I was really creative each time that you know, it was called, you know, we did a monthly checkpoint meeting and you know, I came with my deck and I was all excited about what we'd accomplished. But the mistake I made is that I wasn't consistent with the metrics I was presenting each time. Mm. Mm. Right. So they wanted to know trends and, and how we're how we were making progress. So it's you know, you have your, let's just say you have your PPC spend, you got X traffic, you made tweaks to the landing page, and now you have a higher conversion rate. Mm-hmm. I wasn't consistent about the set of metrics that I was presenting. And I see that the case in a a lot of organizations and it's a huge mistake. The management team wants to know what's the trend or what's the progress you're making. And if you don't show the same metrics every time with some incremental ones, then you lose that story or you lose that trend to say, we are making progress or here's where we need help. So the you know, have your core metrics and KPIs and always present them. Mm-hmm. Don't present a different set of metrics every time you have a meeting because that, um, you know, as, as, I, as I learned professionally, that's not, that's not what the, the management team or the board is looking for. Yeah. They want to see progress in a couple of areas and then the new things you're doing. Not and that's such an innocent yeah. mistake to make, but I like the point you're making in that um, the board or the C-suite wants to see consistency. I think, unfortunately, marketers have a reputation for not being good with data or hiding things in their data and moving around a bit, I think, um, could inadvertently send the wrong message or maybe communicate inadvertently that you're not in alignment with the rest of the executive team on what's important. I think some of it also is sort of understanding, like a lot of this can be pretty intimidating depending on what marketing automation platform or CRM you're using Mm -hmm. or, um, 
you know, tool for webinars and events. And so, yeah, I think the other part too is that you don't have to be really technologically savvy. It's good if you are, but you know, it's okay to ask people what some of the numbers mean on your campaign, even though it may seem really embarrassing because you'd rather do that to your colleague or someone else you're working with mm-hmm. than presenting these data, this data and getting questioned on it. Like, Absolutely. wow, um, that number seems really high for a webinar. Do you mean to tell me of the 200 people that attended the webinar, 150 of them are now sales prospects for the organization? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, things like that um, is that other big mistake. I don't, I don't see it as sort of hiding something. I think it's sort of a not understanding what that number means or even better is probably explain being able to explain it. Yeah. So you should be able to say, we had 200 people attend our webinar. What does that mean? So they logged in, you know, did they stay the entire time? Mm-hmm. Um, were there other individuals that they invited from the organization? But really you know, asking yourself those questions before you present it. And then asking someone who knows the technology, um, you know, what does an engaged contact mean? It's okay to ask someone else if you don't know. Yeah. And if there's one takeaway that I would love to get across to both ops and CMOs is that you need to equip leadership to set the realistic, set realistic expectations and be able to understand the trends and what's behind them. So if it's very rare that an analyst gets to present the data to the C-suite. And yeah. I understand, but I would always schedule a meeting ahead of time with the CMO and sit through and say, here are the things I'm seeing. Here's the story I'm seeing. Here's what I've found behind that to explain it, because they're probably going to be asking questions about this, this, and this. If you can do that ahead of time, you save... Um, you know, I've seen quite a few leaders oversell something unintentionally because exactly what you said, they didn't quite understand it. They didn't want to ask questions about it. And that can cause huge problems down the road when it comes to their credibility. Yeah, I mean, I'd say at that point, like from an analyst perspective and role, it's sort of that role is to figure things out that either um, someone doesn't have the capability of doing. So they just don't understand the numbers or don't have the time to do it. And so translating that report or that data and those pieces and and taking advantage of an analyst who has the time, has subject matter expertise, understands those bits. But yes, I've, I've seen that gone awry many times. Mm -hmm. Our analyst, our business intelligent resource on our team has done all this work and you know, things are looking really good here. Look at the report with, you know, the up into the right chart, mm-hmm. but they don't understand what that means yeah. um, and, and, and sort of not presenting it. But I've seen someone present like we're doing really well, but they were showing a churn chart. Oops. So there's actually people unsubscribing <laughs> for the software. Oh, and they no. actually thought that that was like a, they didn't like interpret or read it properly. And so, um, I've been in those board meetings or those C-level checkpoint meetings where 
someone's presenting data that someone else gave them right before they're walking in essentially, or right before they're hopping on the Zoom. And um, yeah, just, just be really careful in that context because that's, that's where you can get in trouble really quickly. And it's hard to recover that trust Mm-hmm. Um, once you've made a misstep like that. Absolutely. I think it's really under, uh, important to understand your own data literacy as an executive, but also it's important for the analyst to pick up on that as well. So how much do you need to, like at the beginning of my career as an analyst, I put a chart up and expect everybody to see what I saw and they don't have the same context. Like uh, an analyst may know that demo requests typically convert at 25% and webinars are at 3%. So this one that converted at 20% was just amazing. Nobody else knows that. <laughs> so exactly. make, sure, make sure you communicate the wins, but don't hide. Uh, I guess hide is probably the wrong word. Um, don't avoid the bad news. Bad news should travel faster than good news. Do you agree with that? Yeah, yeah, the, I, I agree with that adage. I think it's um, I, I can I can say sort of in in my C level role. I think I really want to know things that I or the organization can do something about, mm-hmm. right? And so it's it's one thing to say we did this campaign and we got the expected results, and maybe we want to do more of that. But mm-hmm. you know, I learn more from the we tried this experiment and it was successful or it failed. And I need to know that right away. Even if, I mean, even if you don't know the answer or the fix to that, I think that's the second mistake. It's sort of, you know, ideally you go into a meeting and say, I'm just making up a campaign. Yeah. We did an SM, we did, um, we did a form complete and we're testing sending someone via SMS, the, white paper that they requested right mm-hmm. and so you, you do that campaign and it absolutely flopped you know, so mm-hmm. no one responded there was no meetings that were scheduled and you got a bunch of people who are particularly annoyed about getting a text from you even though they requested something um communicating that that didn't have the anticipated results um is particularly important if you can figure out why it didn't have those or what you would recommend to fix it going forward even better but at least communicating that it didn't work as expected right away or that bad news is mm-hmm. important or you know because it builds confidence that you're going to communicate those that bad news and even better i think it, what most people don't realize from a sea level perspective we want to know that you figured it out or found that mistake, right? Yeah. So if you don't communicate it, then it's, you know, the C-level loses confidence that you can find things that are broken and finding things that are broken, even if you don't have the solution for it, is really, really important. Absolutely. So speaking of broken things, the dark web has kind of been gaining, a, well, dark funnel, not dark web, yeah. totally different thing. Totally different thing. So Dark Funnel (laughs) has been gaining steam and um, it's a thing. It's real. There's a lot of things we can't track. Uh, Privacy has been locking down information even more. And then there's just tactics that don't translate well into metrics like podcasts. So (laughs) how 
as analysts, can we better arm our executives to communicate that reality and set proper expectations around uh, ROI conversations around, let's say, a podcast? Yeah, I, mean, I would say that um, I would actually start with bench. So there are some things, even with you know removing some of the cookie tracking and not being able to build audiences. I think that's February of 2023 when LinkedIn's putting that into place. Um, I think there's a couple things. One, yeah, it's going to be it's going to be particularly fun. I have some ideas on how to track and other things that you can do. But mm -hmm. what I would say is that um, there are metrics I would start with that are overall. So visits to your website, visits to a landing page, subscriber to a newsletter. So there is some data that you can look at holistically as trends that, that will correlate to what you're doing. So yep. the day you put a podcast or publish it, you, know, you can see the metrics on you know, how many people click on it, how long they viewed it, those pieces, mm -hmm. but don't, don't miss out on the other ones. Visits to landing pages, visits to your website, mm -hmm. because you know, when we send out our monthly newsletter, I see an increase in visits to the website and so you can attribute that to increased awareness, even though you don't have some of those exact metrics. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think that's, I think benchmarking where you are to start, but you asked me a different question and I need to answer that one, which is um, how do you have that conversation? How do you have that conversation to say, I believe this is the right tactic to do. I believe it's benefiting the organization. I don't have an exact number to say, we did a podcast. That means that Beatrice called her salesperson mm -hmm. because you were back, you know, you were top of mind again and, they, and she ended up purchasing something in a couple of months. Mm -hmm. um, you know, that, that conversation is, we can see from some of the metrics and views for people who attended that they match within our database. And we know that that influences that behavior, mm -hmm. but we can't track it exactly. Yep. I don't think you want us doing the experiment of stop doing podcasts mm -hmm. and see if we have an appreciable decline in sales. Right. So that's, that's, the other, that's the other piece too, um, is you, you may have some indicators that it's working, but the question, again, this is risky depending on your management team. So I'm yeah. putting that out there. But yeah. um, most organizations are not going to want to risk even, an, even a slight decrease in traffic or awareness if they can't perfectly measure that. And, and that's a yeah. conversation to have. It's, I know that there's a benefit. I see increase in traffic. Yeah, we are we are seeing an increase in our pipeline and an increase in conversion rates mm -hmm. beyond what we would normally see for sales. And so I can't attribute that exact activity, but I believe this is helping and it's really not worth a risk to stop. So that's usually the conversations that you know, I've been a part of or conversations they've had even with me. We yeah. just spent X, X tens of thousands of dollars. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. 
are we really getting our value out of doing that? Yeah. Yeah. No, I think, um, that's super smart because you can have the conversation about a lot of people call web traffic a vanity metric. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But you can have that conversation about when we just look at direct and organic and we're trending up over time, that's a really good thing. That means that awareness is building. We can also look at social media follows and those sorts of things as indicators that we're getting more engagement. We've also found a correlation between searching for the company name in the organic search piece specifically to some kind of promotional activity. So looking for those spikes too can be helpful. But yeah, I mean, just... yeah, the biggest one is contact us form. Yeah. I, I like the conversation around that. So um, great. We had 128 people this month complete our contact us form and request information on product. Yeah, that spiked to 156. And those are the highest converting leads that we have. Yep. Yeah. Where did that come from? We didn't increase spend on PPC. We didn't do any other activity. We did this other thing. And so that, that's sort of the, the hidden tip or trick or hack is look at your contact us form and the conversion rates for that because most of these other activities that you're not directly tracking will correlate to a contact us form completion on your site or a conversion from a you know, download of a piece of content. Yeah. You'll see those metrics increase and most companies or individuals don't think to look there for those trends. Yeah, great point. So we've talked about the, the benchmarks that marketers need to be thinking about at a high level. How, one of the problems I've run into is I've worked with CEOs that were either really highly technical and, and were thinking they knew exactly how uh, marketing should work in terms of identification and metrics, or we're working with somebody with a financial background who's used to having these uh, balance sheets that balance down to the penny. Yeah. And how do we kind of frame the conversation around what's good enough when it comes to marketing analytics? Yeah, it's a wide range. I mean, there's a founders who are are engineers and have um, written the code for software and so understand what that ecosystem looks like or how that works. I mean, I think from a, those conversations come down to a, what metrics are important to you or what things are going to demonstrate we're making the right progress. And there's only four or five of them. Mm-hmm. So are we, ge- are we building our database and creating more contacts that are our ideal customer fit? Mm-hmm. Right? Do we have more people with phone numbers, email addresses, or ways to get in touch with them than we had before? Thing number two is really, um, what is our process to convert them into customers? Do we have a nurturing flow? So of those leads we created, how many get to a salesperson? Yeah. Is that increasing over time? And then you know, how many buy your lead source or channel are actually turning into customers? Mm-hmm. And so for the person who you know, is technical, thinks they understand the marketing pieces, if you can get them down to the metrics they want to track mm-hmm. and show them those numbers, then they'll feel a lot better about it and not want to dig into the nuances of this keyword is converting at this rate or this other program is working or our organic traffic has changed. 
it's getting them to focus on those numbers. Mm-hmm. I think from the finance side, I mean, the, the nirvana for that is cost per lead, yep. right? So they want to know um, B2B SaaS companies, depending on your model, it's somewhere between 120 and 280 or $300 for cost per marketing qualified lead. And so finance usually wants to say that we invested X number of dollars in a program and then that netted us extra turn in terms of revenue or sales. Mm-hmm. And so um, you have to be really good at you know, either multi-touch attribution or mapping campaigns and campaign members across systems. Mm-hmm. Because a finance person wants to know the number, how many people, how many opportunities, how many touches. Um, and then they have to be okay with the aggregate Right. So a lot of it is going to be looking at the aggregate. And if you don't, sorry, they want to, it's looking at the aggregate, but you have to do a really good job of campaign tracking and campaign attribution across your system. So you can actually give them those numbers. Yeah. They won't stop pushing. They will, they want to know to the penny how much money it costs to get that next lead. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you know, a podcast, how much time did you spend doing it? Mm-hmm. How many people attended? As a result of that, do we see more leads or more people going into our database or interacting with us? Before we did that, this quarter, next quarter, and are we seeing any positive trends? And you have to be prepared to give them those numbers, but it's the same conversation with the technical person. What yeah. metrics are important to you? Here's the ones that I can produce. Here's the ones that are a proxy for those numbers. Yeah, and I think that's why I kind of lump them together is that we have the same kind of drive for perfection. And uh, I mean, they're kind of coming from different angles. Ultimately, I don't think marketing can be that precise of a science, but you can plug some of the holes by asking people where they heard about you and yeah. uh, doing referral campaigns and working closely with the sales team. Another great exercise are close interviews where you talk to opportunity. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, I think there's ways to get there. Um, yeah, just because order, closed one analysis, like those things. Um, yeah. So Christopher, if you could give people a few things that they should really take away from this, what would it be? I think one is consistency. So pick pick and choose the numbers you want to present. I think the second thing is present the things that you find that are not working the way you expect them to, Mm -hmm. even if you don't know how to fix them. I think that builds a lot of confidence in the team that when something breaks, you'll know what that is. And then Lastly, look at other, I think vanity metrics is usually that terminology clicks and opens and some of those pieces, but benchmarking some of those and looking at the contact us form is sort of important for key takeaways. Um, I'll also share, I wrote an ebook about four CEOs that were asking me about what metrics or things I should ask my marketing team about. So happy to share that link or ebook because it's sort of a guide for the CEO to ask the right questions because 
at times they're as confused about what they should be asking or, or what those component pieces are as a marketer is in figuring out what they should be presenting to that team. Yeah, I would love to link to that in the show notes and in the accompanying article we always push out on calibermind.com with each episode. So Christopher, thank you so much. Where can people find you online to network? I think it's um, at Find Your Yeti is the fun one. Um, at, at Cantonop and LinkedIn, um, you can find me there. You can find me there directly and I, I am a real person and I will respond to you. So, you know, LinkedIn or um, LinkedIn is probably the best place to, to get in touch with me. Wonderful. So for those of you listening out there, if you enjoy the podcast, hit subscribe, rate it, tell your friends. And for those of you looking for more great content like this, check out calibermind.com.